Mac Power Users, episode 641, catching up with Federico Vitici. Hello, everyone. This is David Sparks, and I'm joined by Mr. Stephen Hackett. How are you today, Stephen? I'm good, David. How are you? Uh, I'm really good. Uh, more importantly, we have a special guest on today. The uh, the guest that I never allow my wife to listen to because she thinks he has the best voice in podcasting. Welcome to the show, Federico. Hey guys, thanks for having me back. It's been a, it's been a while. Yeah, it has been too long. You know, we've talked about getting you on, but you're such a busy guy, and I know, like, as soon as WWDC hits. You kind of go into your tunnel, into your review tunnel. <laughs> he goes or, to the beach. Come on. He's going uh, to the beach. <laughs> yeah, well, I told you, I would love to be on. Just make sure that it's before WWDC and I'm all yours. And yeah. uh, you were kind enough to make it happen in mid-May, which is perfect. Just yeah. perfect timing. Yes. Yeah. Are you excited for WWDC? Well, how could I not be, right? I mean, yeah. <laughs> it's 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 the single most important time of the year for my uh f- for my work, really. Yeah. I mean, it's that and September when when the things actually come out. But June is the big reveal. It's it's like Christmas for what we do, you know. And I- I'm especially intrigued this year to see what happens on the iPad. Maybe we can talk about that later. But there's a lot of I think there's a lot of uh, pent up demand obviously but also frustration from some users who are who have gotten tired of waiting for iPadOS to get better and so if it actually gets better this year I'm 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 intrigued to see what happens yeah I feel like that's it's me I'm I've uninvested from iPad mm-hmm. and this will be the year that they fix it because of that. <laughs> yes. And and that chaos that that will happen is why I'm here. Like I want to see what happens. And, and and I count myself in this audience. Like uh, I've sort of gotten tired of waiting for the iPad to get better. Um but what if it does? Like what does yeah. it mean and how yeah. can it get better? Like will we reconsider? So that um th- that's sort of the energy that I'm bringing into WDC WWDC this year. Like what if they actually do it, then what? Yeah, and we actually are not covering WWC in our outline for today's show. I know you guys over at App Stories have been have started, I believe, your series. Don't you do that yeah. annual series? Yes. So, so you're going to be going through it all. But since we have you here, and Federico, for those who don't know, uh, runs Mac Stories and is probably the most authoritative iPad user on the planet. I mean, you're the guy that Apple invites to the iPad events and you've done some amazing iPad stuff over the years. Thank you. You do that annual um, iPhone and iOS and iPad OS review that everybody reads. Um, so just real quick, you get one thing, one thing on the iPad this year at WWC. What is it? Uh, new multitasking. Uh, I, okay. Like, okay. Just a little I thing. I think that has to be just just a little thing, you know, just, yeah. just that. Uh, but I really feel like especially with iPadOS 15, right? Last year, they uh, made multitasking easier and more intuitive for a bunch of people. And I feel like it, now that they have this more stable foundation, it's time to go beyond what, what is possible today. So beyond just two apps at the same time, uh, beyond the limitations of, sp- of slide over, um, to really approach, you know, multiple home screens and multiple displays like it's possible on the Mac. I don't know. I want to see Apple try something like uh, 
Windows style multitasking, you know, with the snap style gestures, mm-hmm. which is also something that you can do on the Mac with Moom and, and Better Touch Tool. You know, uh, yeah. let me do a grid of four apps at the same time or three apps at the same time. Give me more controls. Like really, you know, take advantage of that hardware in the iPad Pro and, and give some meaning, I guess, to the Pro in iPad Pro. Because especially last year, the iPadOS updates were just foundational, really, uh, to, yeah. to make sure that the basics are covered, that you have a new menu for multitasking, that you have basic support for keyboard shortcuts. But I feel like Pro users want and also deserve, right? Because, you you know, you spend, you know, $1,200 on a computer that is called the iPad Pro, you want to make sure that you have some actual Pro features on it. And two apps at the same time, I don't think it's enough in 2022. Yeah, I mean, the thing that broke my will was honestly them putting the M1 in the MacBook Pro because it raised my expectations. And I was like, oh, this is it. They're going to, you know, we got the same Mm. chip as the MacBook Air. This is going to be awesome. And then they're like, hey, we added a button for multitasking. <laughs> you know? And I was just like, that. you know, it's like yeah. that, that combination of heightened expectations and lack of delivery uh, mm-hmm. just like, just broke me. <laughs> but yeah. 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 When you say improve multitasking, does that mean at least four windows on the screen? Or um, is... Hmm. So I'm really not a fan of, and I know this is going to upset at least a part of the audience, um, but I'm really not a fan of overlapping windows. I, I, yeah. I've tried them again, like these past few months that I've been using the MacBook Pro again. I'm, I, I just can't deal with them. I, I don't like them. I, I find them, I don't like the clutter. I don't like to manually resize my windows. I'm a fan of grids. I'm a fan of um, presets, you know? have uh, presets for two apps, three apps, four apps at the same time. Now, on the iPad, given the form factor, given that uh, 12.9 inches is the biggest model, I'm not sure if four windows at the same time could work. Maybe yes, because of because of how iPad apps are designed with the with the compact size classes and the regular size classes. So maybe they can find a way to make it work. But for sure, at the very least, three apps at the same time, I think it should be doable. And I mean, if you ask me, I would do split view on the iPhone as well. (laughs) I think the the times are mature enough to do two apps in split view on the iPhone, uh, for sure on the bigger iPhones. Mm -hmm. Uh, But on the iPad, maybe not four at the same time, but three for sure. Yeah, I, I would like to see them implement multitasking on the iPad the same way they implemented um, uh, mouse support. Like, delightfully iPad. It's uniquely mm-hmm. iPad, but it still works. You know, I I felt like they nailed it with that. Maybe they can do something for multitasking, too. Um, either way, I feel like um, it's going to be a lot of fun to see what happens. Yeah, I don't think... Uh, there, there's, a, there's a bunch of people that feel exactly like you that, that have been doing what we've been doing, like... You know, these new MacBook Pros that have come out, these new Apple Silicon machines, you know, they have showed how they've made it easier than ever for longtime iPad users. And I know a bunch, right, that said, you know what, I'm just going to switch to this machine for a while and see what happens. Um, a, a, A lot of iPad apps 
are now available on the Mac thanks to Catalyst or thanks to SwiftUI. There's been a lot of general cleanup in the, in the Mac ecosystem, I feel like, because sure. of Apple Silicon, right? A lot of apps that hadn't, hadn't been updated in a while have received native Apple Silicon support. And of course, these machines are just incredible. Like the screen is beautiful and the battery life is incredible. So there's a ton of people in our community that are longtime iPad users who got tired of waiting forever, forever for iPadOS to get better, and they've made the leap to macOS. But personally, and again, I think there's, you know, maybe you also feel like this, David, maybe there's other listeners who feel this way. Deep down, we still love the iPad for what it is, right? It's a tablet that can also be a laptop. Uh, like that aspect of the iPad is still so unique. And it's such a shame that Apple isn't doing more. But if they do more, I think the iPad will will come back calling to us. I have this feeling that it really comes down to iPadOS 16, basically. It's delightful. I mean, like I, I run my OmniFocus task review on my iPad and it's one of my most enjoyable computing experiences that I do almost every day. You know, just the using my finger on a piece of glass, it feels, it just feels so connected. Like versus doing that on a laptop, it's just not the same. I agree. It's just, there's just not enough of those experiences or, or there's things I need to do that doesn't, you know, we, this is a constant thing on the show, but I was, you know, as soon as we started talking WWC, I couldn't help myself, but, but ask a little bit. And I'd recommend anybody who wants to know more about Federico's opinions on this stuff to head over to the app stories podcast, which you and John Voorhees do an excellent job of. And, and I know you. you guys are doing, I, I haven't checked my feed, but I, I assume you've, you're deep into that at this point, right? Yeah. The, uh, yeah. yeah. We yeah, have yeah. two more left to do iPad OS, which is the next one coming out and Mac OS, which we're saving as the, the last one. Yeah. All right. You well. got, you got TV OS out of the way. That's good. <laughs> we got, got TVOS and watchOS 9 out of the way. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. We had to call in the expert, Mike Hurley, to talk about <laughs> TVOS 16, because yeah. otherwise we had no idea. We had no idea what to wish for. Yeah, he's the, he's the guy to talk to. Well, we, uh, I'm sorry, gang. I drug us down a little bit of a rabbit hole there, but uh, uh, some announcements for the show now that we're 10 minutes in. So Stephen is coming to visit me. We're going to do some stuff uh, on June 11th. From 5.30 to 8 p.m. in the Burger Lounge in Irvine, California. It's got it's a nice little area where uh, there's parking and there's a lot of outdoor seating. Uh, we're going to have just a little meetup. Anybody who's in SoCal who wants to meet up with us, that's the day to do it. Uh, 8553-Irvine Center Drive. We'll put up some posts on the various blog posts and whatnot. There's a lot of food options there. The burgers at Burger Lounge are actually quite good. Uh, but there's like a Whole Foods and a whole bunch of other stuff there too. So whatever you like to eat, you can. My advice is you just tell your significant other, hey, why don't we go to Irvine for dinner? I'll just, you know, let's go out for dinner. You don't have to tell that person that you're going to meet up with a bunch of nerds, you know, just, just show up, you know, it'll be a nice surprise. Um, the other thing we're going to do is on Saturday, June 13th, we're going to record the Mac Power Users live. I'm going to put in the show notes a webinar sign up. It's going to be kind of like published as a webinar, but it's going to be a live show with me and Steven in front of cameras. We, we couldn't do a, a live show indoors just yet, but this is as close as we can get. And I think it's going to be really fun. Steven and I are working on the outline. We're going to have some cool stuff going on. Uh, so there's some things for your calendar. June 11th for the live meetup and 
June 13th for the webinar show, the live show that anybody can attend. And yeah. that's, of course, free. And I'll get a link in the show notes. Yeah, we're also going to be, while I'm there, recording our annual special. So right now is sort of membership season at Relay FM. You can uh, become a member of more power users. You go to relay.fm slash MPU. There's a couple of join buttons up at the top. Uh, that's an ad-free, longer version of the show we do each and every week. But all Relay FM members, no matter what show you support, get access to these annual specials. And ours this year is going to be, uh, David, you and I are going to sort of recap my first trip to Disneyland. So we're, we're going to go to Disney while I'm there. You're going to show me all the cool spots. And then the next day, we're going to record a little bit about how that trip went, which I think will be, I think it's going to be a lot of fun. Yeah, I'm going to bring out the the boy the boyish love side of Stephen. We're going to, he's not going to be thinking about cable management. He's just going to have so much fun. We're going to get some <laughs> popcorn. It's going to be great. And uh, today on More Power Users, since we've got Federico in the room, I have many questions about being an audiophile. I keep hearing these <laughs> things about Federico and his expensive headphones and the ways he listens to music. We're going to get to the bottom of that on today's episode of More Power Users. Hey, uh, so Federico, I, I guess I would normally say welcome to the show at this point, but I feel like we kind of already got got through that. <laughs> Thank you, regardless. Yes. <laughs> but uh, it is great having you back, and it has been a long time. So why don't we just start out with you sharing what uh, Apple gear you are using these days? Sure. I mean, obviously, uh, starting with the iPhone, um, I, I, I'm a big iPhone guy. Uh, I have an iPhone 13 Pro Max, uh, biggest possible model. Um, I'm using the Apple leather case, uh, the, what, what is it, the black one, um, just because I've tried many, many cases for for iPhones, both um, Apple ones and third-party ones, and I always go back to, to the Apple leather one. It's the yeah. nicest one that slides nicely into, you know, a pair of jeans. Uh, it doesn't have as much friction as the silicone ones, and also the Apple silicon cases are expensive. And they break up after just a few months for me. Uh, they always start to chip away at the corners of the case. Mm-hmm. And I don't know. I, I really like how the leather ones age as well. And I like the feel. I'm not using, although I really liked it, but I'm not using the MagSafe wallet anymore. What? Um yeah, and that's because COVID broke me. Like the whole pandemic broke me there, because the basically the Italian government started requiring that, in addition to your ID, for most things you carry around an additional card, which is like a health uh, card, basically, okay. and that is required for like I mean not just vaccinations and that kind of stuff, but also if you buy, for example, masks at a pharmacy, you get a discount, you know that kind of stuff. Um, and so that brought a fourth card into the mix for me because otherwise it was just my driver's license, my ATM card, and my credit card. And that was perfect for the MagSafe wallet, which I really, really liked. But with the fourth card, well, uh, uh, th- th- that was the single issue that uh, forced me to stop using the MagSafe wallet because it doesn't fit more than three cards. So now I'm using this uh, wallet that I got from Amazon, I spent like 15 euros on it. It's it's one of those push out wallets that has like a little button that you press and it pops out cards. Mm-hmm. Um, it's made of metal and the button is made of plastic. Um, and it stores up to four cards and it has slots for cash and an additional two cards. I don't love it, 
but it's functional. And ideally, I would go back to using the um, ideally I would go back to using the Apple one. But um, until that happens, I guess I'm stuck with the cheap Amazon wallet. Mm-hmm. I wish that I had a wallet with with AirTags built in. Yeah. Uh, because the the Apple one does the has the like the new version has the Find My integration, but that's not really like having an air tag built yeah. in it just tells you the last time you detached the wallet it was here and it's based on your iphone basically um so like uh, i'm using air tags for i really love my air tags actually like i have a pair i have an air tag on my car keys another one on the house keys and then i i hid one in the car itself sure and, and it's useful just for general you know tracking my car and also remembering when i parked the car the apple maps um integration there that it tells you where you park your car by checking basically when bluetooth was disconnected yeah it's not super reliable for me i don't know maybe it'll get better once i get a carplay enabled car uh, which i it's do not. not have so it's not okay <laughs> no. so yeah having an air tag hidden somewhere in the car helps uh and then i gave one to sylvia and she has one in in her bag as well so really love my air tags i think the time for uh, changing the battery is coming up, actually. Uh, I, I think I got my first, uh, hey, this is going to run out soon notification uh, a couple of weeks ago. And I think it's been a year since AirTags came out. So, yeah, right about that time, I think. Yeah, I'd never really thought about leaving one in the car. But I could see how mm-hmm. that would be helpful if you park in like big big lots or, yeah. or whatever. Yeah, sometimes it make it makes a random noise when I start driving. Like it starts making the chipping, like the the chirping noise for no reason. And uh, yeah, I, I every time I that I have someone in the car with me and they hear the sounds, like what what's that? And I have to to explain. No, oh, it's the air tag that I hid. That for whatever reason, even though it's my, it's my air tag, and I didn't mark it as lost or anything. It's making a noise and it yeah. stops after test 10 seconds. But, you know, I'll take that random noise over the, you know, the convenience of just having that tracking built into my car. One of the things I did with one, and Steve, I don't know if you did this or not either, but I took black tape and taped it to the underside of my bicycle seat because mm-hmm. I, I don't want someone stealing mm-hmm. my bike. And I, I felt like that was a pretty smart move. But either way, yeah, air tags. Yeah, I found this thing on Etsy. I'm trying to search for it now. Basically, it was like an AirTag holder for a bike. And I've got one on the the bike that I ride most often, like leave it locked up outside a drugstore or something. Uh, and it, it's designed to look like a reflector. So it kind of two birds of one stone. And uh, yeah, I, I like having one on my bike for sure. And Federico, on the iPad, wh- which iPads are you using these days? Well, I would say that the 12.9 inch iPad Pro it's still the the iPad that I use the most. Like I said, in 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 sort of the, over the past few months, like uh, and I'm working on on this big story that I'm gonna publish uh, before WWDC uh, about like how I've been using the Mac again with the with the M1 Max MacBook Pro that that Apple sent me as a review unit months ago, and it's been a long process, you know. Uh, to familiarize myself with the Mac again, that, that, that has meant that I've been using the iPad less, basically. Yeah. Um, but when I do, I still like the big iPad Pro because it's the one that gives me the best version of iPadOS multitasking. As much as iPadOS multitasking is not great, uh, but at least on the big iPad Pro, you get the most comfortable version of it. 
you know, uh, two apps at the same time. It feels like using two full-size regular apps side by side. And it's really, it's a really great iPad to use in landscape mode with a magic keyboard, you know, home screen full of widgets or full of icons. You get the best possible version of iPadOS. I would still love to get an even bigger iPad Pro, but that's a different conversation. I stopped using the iPad mini. I wasn't using it much anyway, and Sylvia wanted it, so I just gave the iPad mini to Sylvia. (laughs) I have been using, on and off, the iPad Air as my media consumption iPad, just because I really find it uncomfortable to read articles and books at night on my iPhone. I don't like to do that on the MacBook Pro either. I, I really feel like the tablet is the best form factor for reading at night, you know, just a couple of hours before going to bed. Um, but the iPad Pro, the big one in portrait, is kind of unwieldy, you know, as a, as a thing to hold in your hands. It's yeah. a big tablet, it's a big piece of glass that you're holding. Um, so the iPad Air strikes a nice balance between the size of the iPad Pro and the you know the 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 size and the lightweight form factor of the mini. Um, I also like how on the iPad Air in portrait, you know, it doesn't feel as cramped as the iPad Mini. The iPad Mini is a great device for portable you know things, um, both in landscape and portrait. But iPad OS on the iPad Mini, really not a good experience. Whether it's the home screen or slide over, <laughs> it's really hard to use. Yeah, a lot of it does feel a bit cramped. I mean, I've basically moved to the iPad mini as my only iPad, and I've just given up on multitasking because it's it's so cramped. And it's definitely better than the old mini was. I mean, the old mini was just like painful to use slide over and these other things on. But I feel like the iPad mini does... <sighs> I think it treats you better if you treat it more like the traditional kind of one app at a mm. time iPad. Yeah, sort of like a big iPhone, basically. Yeah. Uh, and it's nice if you use it like that. But again, uh, it's not like I was using it a ton and Sylvia wanted it anyway. So I was like, yeah, you can use it. I don't care. Um, but yes, I would say that for the um, multitasking, I think the iPad, the, the big iPad Pro, still my favorite one. And that that's the the iPad that I'm still holding out hope for, you know, Apple saying, we're going to let you do m- even more things on this device. This is the M1, right? The M1 yeah. version that, that you mentioned, David. And it's totally capable of, of doing more, right? Uh, I mean, this is the same chip that you can spend $1,000 and get a MacBook, MacBook Air with the same chip. And you spend $1,000 and you get an iPad Pro. And it doesn't do nearly, uh, you know, not even half the things that a MacBook Air can do. So... I don't know. We'll we'll see what happens, but that's the one. And I mean, I love the display, right? It's got the mini LED display. looks beautiful. It's not OLED quality, but close. And the speakers sound great, and I like the Magic Keyboard. I really like everything about its hardware. It's it's the software that's the problem. Have you played with Universal Control in that big iPad? Yes. Yes. Good. good. Thank you for mentioning that. Um, Universal Control has been really great in, in allowing me to to sort of have this one workflow, right, between the Mac and the iPad. And so many times I like to place the iPad next to the the Mac, and it's like having an external display, but it's not a display, it's a computer itself. And so 
you know, being able to switch between what I'm doing on the Mac and something that's on the iPad that maybe is only on the iPad or that I prefer to do on the iPad. Um, for example, some interactions in the shortcuts editor. I prefer how they work on the iPad than on the Mac. Yeah. Or maybe, you know, something that the iPad does really well that the Mac doesn't, widgets on the home screen. Uh, widgets on the Mac are terrible. Um, but on the iPad, you can have these home screens that have medium size widgets and Excel widgets now. And it's really great to have this, and Stephen, forgive me for using this term, but having a dashboard of widgets <laughs> right next to your Mac. You know, but yeah. it's an iPad. And so you can have your timery widget for time tracking, and you can have a calendar that shows you five days, and you can move back and forth between them with universal control. It's really nice. Yeah, I think I talk about this every week on Mac Power Users Now. It's like uh, the way we used to talk about the bad keyboards. Now I talk about universal control. But I've got the way my, my monitor is set up, I can actually put the iPad right below the monitor. And with you, between universal control and sidecar, I use my iPad so much now, just a, just as a dashboard. I mean, Steve and I have talked how much we would like to see some sort of dashboard come to Mac OS, but I, in essence, have it now with the little screen below my Mac on an iPad. I, uh, it's really, it's really dramatically increased the iPad usage for me. I, I, I love it. This episode of Mac Power Users is made possible by 1Password. And 1Password version 8 for the Mac is now out. If you haven't checked this out yet, you really should. It's faster and more responsive across the board. Everything you do is going to be quicker in 1Password 8. It also brings a lot of new features if you, like me, have multiple accounts. You can now lock or unlock individual accounts. Maybe you want your personal vault unlocked, but not your work one. You can also create vault collections, which are ways to group and view certain vaults across accounts. I've really come to enjoy this. I can very quickly see all of my shared vaults in one place without having to do a lot of clicking around. Everything is just easier to use and faster in 1Password 8, like I said. Another example I really like is you can easily scan QR codes for adding 2FA for a login. You've been able to do that in 1Password, but now it is lightning quick. My favorite feature, though, is universal autofill, which will let 1Password log into apps directly on your Mac. Just this morning, I needed to run some updates in the Mac App Store, and it prompted for my Apple ID password. Well, friends like you, hopefully, that password is not something I can easily type. It's a 1Password-generated password, but I could autofill it with 1Password right there. It could, see, it could see what was on the screen. It could fill in the password just like I was using my browser. It was awesome. 1Password 8 is now in beta for iOS and Android as well, with those releases coming later this year. Go check it out and learn more at onepasswordcom MPU. You can sign up for a free 30-day trial there, and you'll get 20% off when you sign up. That's onepassword.com slash MPU. Okay, Federico, you were teasing us that you are using your Mac more than your iPad. And I was thinking, wow, that's mm. new, right? Well, mm. time so, change. And, yeah. You know, mm-hmm. so, so first, what uh, Mac hardware are you using? I think you referenced an M1 uh, MacBook yeah. Pro, but give us the details and and tell us what 
how it feels coming back to the mm. Mac. So this is the 14-inch M1 Max MacBook Pro. Uh, it's a review unit that Apple sent me um, six months ago. And they were like, we kind of want to give you this and see what happens. And and I told them, look, I, 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 I'm into this as an experiment. But I want to tell you up front, I don't know what will happen. I don't know how long it's going to take me. I haven't used a Mac as my as my main computer in almost a decade, really. But I'm fascinated by it, and I want to try it. But basically, this is not a commitment to anything. And they're like, yeah, sure, this is why we're giving you one as a revision. It's like, okay. So it's it's been challenging, especially the first couple of months, when I sort of had to you know, f- force myself in, in a good way to to use something that was so completely different from what I have been using since 2013, really, 2012, 2013, as my main computer. And the first couple of months, especially the first month, um, like November and December, it was challenging because I, I had to unlearn and relearn a bunch of things, right? Especially for multitasking. Like I spent the first month basically trying to make my Mac look like an iPad, right? And that's not totally surprising, right? You're switching to you're switching to an iPad, to a Mac from an iPad. You try to make it look like the thing that you know and that you are familiar with. And so I tried to replicate my same setup with, you know, an empty home, an empty desktop, which is like the home screen. And then sort of I, I made workflows in Keyboard Maestro to replicate um, like the behavior of split view on iPadOS. And I tried to create these shortcuts to do apps like in slide over. So these narrow columns on the side of the screen. And I wasn't really using keyboard shortcuts much. And I wasn't really taking advantage of, of all the other things that the Mac has to offer. And then I realized, you know, I'm, I'm approaching this the wrong way. I'm doing this all wrong. And because I, I wasn't really taking advantage of, of all the fantastic features that macOS has, has to offer. And I was trying to force this machine into being something that it's not. And so something clicked. I don't know when, but basically I've reached this compromise, this trade-off. And I really like where I am right now and where I've been for the past couple of months, which is I have accepted that I don't know if it's the past decade of working on the iPad, or maybe it's just who I am. But like I mentioned before, I really don't like overlapping windows. I'm not that kind of computer user. I don't think I've ever been. I don't like to manage windows that are overlapping with each other. I don't like to manually resize my windows. Um, I like to have multiple windows. Uh, I like multi-window. I just don't like to see the clutter. And in in accepting that, I've been building shortcuts and using Mac apps that let me create those grids, right? Those those layouts that I like to use. Um, so that that's the single most important thing that I've been uh, accepting about myself and learning about the Mac and building with shortcuts to have these presets for two apps, at the, uh, you know, two apps on screen at the same time, or three or four. Um, and I've been using shortcuts with its uh, resize window action. 
Uh, I've been using Better Touch Tool, which you guys have mentioned on the show many, many times. Uh, you know, dragging a window on one ha- on one side of the screen resizes the window to fill half the screen. You know that kind of stuff. And I've been really um, digging deep into Raycast, the Spotlight alternative for macOS, um, because it's got these amazing built-in window management actions. Uh, so you can assign an alias or a keyboard shortcut to resize the frontmost window to a specific area of the screen. And they have so many options. Like, like you, you can do top uh, three-fourths of the display or bottom left sixth of the display. Like, they have these wild presets. Um, and so I've been really working on that. And then I've been progressively, uh, again, relearning things about the Mac that I knew years ago that I kind of forgot in the in you know over the past decade, and then now I'm I'm appreciating again uh, in a new way. Like for example, Apple Script. I can I used to be you know huge on Apple Script many many years ago, and then Workflow. Ha- well, first uh, Editorial and Pythonista happened, and yeah. then Workflow, and then Shortcuts. Now Shortcuts is on the Mac, but Apple Script can be part of a shortcut. And so yeah. it's been fun to look again into Apple Script, but make it part of my shortcuts. And then just those things, you know, like menu bar apps, uh, using hot corners, um, having the freedom to use even more plugins in Obsidian, like all those things that make the Mac a Mac, but I guess done from the perspective of someone who used the iPad for a decade. And I'm sure that having done that, altered my perspective in some very specific ways, like uh, overlapping windows, big nope from me. Uh, like, And I'm still struggling, for example, to use multiple desktops on my Mac, just because it's something that is I haven't done in a decade. And so I know that the feature is there, but I keep forgetting about it. So it, it's been a long process, but uh, I really like where I am right now. All right. I want, there's a lot to unpack there, so I, I want to back yes. up a little bit. The, the yes. first is... Um, you know, one thing that's changed, obviously, since the last time you used a Mac is Apple Silicon. And yeah. it seems to me like for a lot of folks, I mean, maybe one of the reasons why so many of us are willing to punt on iPad for now is because, you know, Apple Silicon brings a lot of the traditional iPad features to the Mac. The battery runs pretty much all day. You open the lid, it just turns on. Uh, they still don't have the cellular radio, but, you know, large, largely it is giving us a lot of the features that we love about the iPad. And, and of course, that's where the move, the movement is. That's where the action is right now coming out of Apple. For so long, the Mac just sat in the corner while everything was happening with iPhone and iPad. But suddenly, right. you know, the action's on the Mac side. So I, I get that. But but I do think that um, uh, that's, I'm sure that's a role, that plays a role for you, right? Because you can see that right now Apple is innovating on the Mac, and that's really exciting. Yeah, uh, having the same performance and battery life and just even the what seems like a trivial thing, but like I open my computer and it wakes up instantly and I don't see apps bouncing in the dock anymore, like exactly like on an iPad, like that feels great. And it, and it wasn't the case for the Intel Macs years ago. You know, I had a 2011 MacBook Air and then I got a 2018 Mac Mini as sort of my podcasting machine. 
and like those those computers were slow like and and things would take uh take a while to to start up and it just you didn't have that kind of performance you didn't have that level of oh this is nice and 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 you have multiple like i still have multiple of those oh this is nice moments on on this macbook pro so Apple Silicon by far the I honestly think like it's like the greatest thing that happened to the Mac in in ages. Like having that kind of performance and you know these machines never run too hot for the things that I do and the fast charging and and you know um the, the fact that I can use the same apps that I have on my iPad, you know, whether it's thanks to Swift UI making it easy for developers to bring apps to iPad, or Catalyst enabling that sort of translation from iPad to Mac, or like worst case scenario, I can install in emulation mode an iPad app from the Mac App Store, which is not great, but it still works. Mm-hmm. And I have some apps like that, like that freedom, that flexibility has been incredible. And so when you combine that level of power and that performance with the fact that it's a Mac and it lets you do whatever you want to do with your computer, meaning yeah. no, no restrictions. You can install apps from the web. You can install video game emulators. The computer trusts you to do what you know you want to do with your computer and you trust the computer. You trust Apple to protect you in case things go wrong. And that's a beautiful thing, you know, to have performance combined with that freedom. That's that's the thing that has made the difference for me. And it, it opens up the, the automation stuff. We're going to put a pin in automation for a second. I want to come back to that. But it, there is just obviously way more automation available to you on the Mac than there mm-hmm. is on an iPad. But then, then you uh, get to this thing. And I, I want to have a little bit of an intervention here with you, Federico. Okay. Mm. I want to tell you, and no, nobody's listening. Don't worry about it. It's okay not to have overlapping windows. I don't either. <laughs> I, I, I don't like okay. the mess either. Everything okay. to me, I don't even, I, the last time I sized a window with a mouse, I can't honestly remember because okay. to me, it's all automation based. I just, I push a button, the windows put themselves where they belong. I don't think about it. Perfect. You know, okay. It's okay, man. It's all right. Okay. It, okay. You're not. I think a lot of people listening are probably the same as you. I, the overlapping windows to me is like, you know, when you go into a desk and you see papers all over the desk, it's like, yes. that's, I can't deal with that. I yeah, need it I clean. Guess, you know, some people are really religious about this, like, oh, window management means you can place your windows freely anywhere and you should be taking advantage of that. Sure. And I mean, if it works for you, great. I also think, I also think that it depends on the kind of uh, display that you have. Right, I'm using a 14-inch MacBook Pro. I, I guess if I had a 13-inch display or something, maybe I would think about this differently. No, you wouldn't. I guarantee you wouldn't. I, I have a 32-inch screen. Now I won't overlap yeah, okay. windows. Yeah, it doesn't matter. But I think it's just it's looking at those overlapping windows. Like it bothers me visually. Like it really bothers me. So yeah, but that see that's the thing. On the Mac, you can you can have an opinion about these kind of things. You can say, well, I don't like it, so I don't use it. Or you can say, no, I like it. I like all my windows to overlap. And I want to, you know, have these cascading windows that overlap with each other. Yeah. The Mac allows you to have an opinion on how you use your computer. The iPad mostly doesn't. It doesn't let you have an opinion. It's either Apple's way or no way. The way I size my windows, there's like a 10 pixel gutter between them, like at the major, mm. like like down the center, across the middle. 
And like, if I have a window open and I see something in that gutter, I get mad. You know, I, I don't even want, I'm so meticulous about window management. And, and you do all that with automations, right? Yeah. Yeah. Mm. Keyboard Maestro, Moom, uh, nice. Shortcuts, Better Touch Tool. There's about seven different ways you can do it. And it sounds to me like you, you're exploring them all, you know? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Federico, you mentioned the ability to run iPad and iPhone apps on the Mac. Has that actually, like day to day, made a big impact on how you use the Mac, or do you view those as kind of nice things to have, but maybe mostly holdover? Yeah, I wouldn't say a big impact. Like that feature, that feature is the emergency exit, right? For when you really need to have something, but there's no other way. Like I think I needed to have like this very particular utility for multi markdown tables maybe. And then it was the other one was just like a, an Italian app that didn't have um, a native Mac version. And it's not a big impact, but it's nice to have the option when you really need it. Like, um, it's not a good experience. Like, you, you can't really resize those apps. And they be, they obviously look weird, right, when you're using them on a Mac with a cursor and, you know, the the They've been optimized for touch, and you can't touch the screen, obviously, on macOS. Uh, but no, I don't. I don't think a big impact. A big impact, uh, Catalyst apps for sure. Like those apps have had a big impact on me, if only because Catalyst has allowed developers of apps that I was using on the Mac to uh, arrive on macOS. Like Timery is my favorite example. Um, uh, there are other ones that I don't recall. Like that, the Timery one for sure. Like is the single most important app that has come to to the Mac because of Catalyst. Like having that same time tracking workflow um, with my with my existing save timers and my existing widgets on the Mac. That's been terrific. So I would say Catalyst has had a big impact. But the emulation mode, that's kind of like using iPhone apps on the iPad, right? Uh, there's that one particular app that you really need to have, but you could probably live without it. It's just nice to have the option. Well, it it really is. Um, it, it's a great time to be using the Mac. And, you know, it's funny because we were talking a few years ago, like, is it going to continue to be the Mac power users if Apple stops making Macs? You know, we weren't even sure if our show name would last, right? And... um they really have done a great job with it. Where do you miss the iPad the most when you're using your Mac? Well, I'm going to be one of those people. Uh, I'm going to say I miss touching the screen. <laughs> like, sure. honestly, um, I, I really feel like sometimes being able to touch something and, and have that thing react on the display is great. Um, I, I really miss, you know, the, the touch interactions. But more sort of high level i think the reason why i i can't really stop using the ipad is it's it's the ipad's nature itself it's the modularity of the ipad that's what i miss i miss having a computer that changes right based on what you're doing with it so you have this core that if you place it in an accessory, it becomes a laptop. And you use the Magic Keyboard, and you have a laptop. It's got 5G built-in, beautiful display, right? And you have a trackpad, you have a keyboard, you have a pointer, 
and you can use it as a laptop. But then you can switch orientations. And, and you know, you can take it out and it becomes a tablet. So you, you can put it on a stand and you can use an external keyboard. Or you can just hold it in your hands and it's a tablet. Uh, and you can use it in portrait, you can use it in landscape, you can watch videos, you can play games. Like having that sort of ever-changing nature is what I miss the most. And why, you know, I hope that that my story and that the story of other iPad users now, you know, turned into Mac users can be a wake-up call of sorts for Apple to, you know, because w- what I'm saying ultimately is I still so strongly believe in the iPad as, as a concept, as an idea. Like, that's the part I miss the most because my MacBook Pro, I love it. But it's always gonna be what it is, which is a laptop, right? The the most I can do with it, I guess, is put it in clamshell mode and use it with an external display. I can't rip out the display from a MacBook Pro. It's not a tablet. I would break it. Um, it it's always gonna be, a, it's a laptop and it cannot be anything more than a laptop. But the iPad can be multiple things at the same time. The problem is that if uh, if you have a device that you are expecting to be a laptop, a desktop workstation, and a tablet, it better excel at each of those three types of computer. And right now, I really feel like the iPad only excels at being one type of computer, which is a tablet. And because most of my days, most of my working days, I want to work on a laptop, what is the best laptop, functionally speaking, that Apple makes right now? It's the MacBook, whether it's you know the MacBook Air or the MacBook Pro. So the iPad needs to get better at being an, not a tablet, basically. It needs to get better at being a laptop with a magic keyboard, and it needs to get better at being a desktop workstation when you, you know, put it on a desk, on a stand, or on a dock, or whatever, and you connect an, an external monitor, keyboard, and trackpad. Uh, so there's two roles that Apple needs to think about for the iPad, because only one of the three Right now, the iPad is really optimized for, has long been optimized for. The iPad has long been an excellent tablet. And so that, that's what I miss, the, the, the modular nature of the iPad and the freedom to you know, have one computer that can be multiple things. The Mac can only be one thing, but it's a really excellent thing at what it does. This episode of the Mac Power Users is brought to you by Sourcegraph. Go to about.sourcegraph.com to get universal code search, allowing you to move fast even in big code bases. So you've hired a brilliant developer. That's great, but now you have to get them on board. If your company is growing, onboarding new developers will be a common occurrence, but it's a big undertaking each time. One of the biggest challenges for new hires is to get up to speed with the project their new team is working on. This can be tricky if the code bases your developers are working on are already large. Thankfully, Sourcegraph makes it easy to move fast, even in those big code bases. Developers know that knowledge is most useful when it's findable. Centralization is helpful, but given the fact that most companies store knowledge in at least two different locations, how do you make knowledge accessible to those that need it? As a code intelligence platform, Sourcegraph gives developers what they need to drive their own learning over time and in different situations. Teams without Sourcegraph need to rely on asking colleagues or reviewing out-of-date documentation, which is cumbersome and time-consuming. But with Sourcegraph, every developer can search across millions of repositories to find specific code, saving time for themselves and everyone else. 
So when questions do come up, you know it's the big stuff that's worth the extra time. SourceGraph was created to make developers' lives easier, and today they work with leading companies across every industry, including three out of five of the top tech companies, plus PayPal, Uber, Plaid, GE, Reddit, and Atlassian. Visit about.sourcegraph.com to learn more. Once again, that's about.sourcegraph.com to find out why some of the biggest tech companies in the world use SourceGraph and to see what it can do for yours. Or just click the link in the show notes to let them know you heard about it from us. Our thanks to SourceGraph for their support of the Mac Power users and all of RelayFM. Federico, I think that discussion about form factor and even differences in the operating system is like, it's so fascinating, right? Because the iPad started life in such a different place than uh, than the Mac did. And now they're sort of on these like weirdly parallel tracks, but but not really. And I'm curious, I mean, you talked some about the the physicality of things that make up the the difference between these platforms. But what are some other differences between them that that maybe hold the iPad back or hold the Mac back in different ways? Where do you see some of those differences playing out in your own work? Hmm. I've really seen uh, for for the Mac side, I've really seen the lack of cellular networking being an issue for me. I spend a ton of time um, working in my car. I, I I know that there's a bunch of people out there like me. Uh, I have these moments when like I'm waiting 30, 45 minutes in the car and I want to do something, right? I want to get something done. I'm not at home. I don't have Wi-Fi. Now, normally with the, with an iPad Pro, I wouldn't think about it. I just, there's a 5G SIM card in it. I can just use 5G. Uh, the MacBook Pro does not have cellular networking built in. So I have to use personal hotspot, hotspot. And that's fine, but I don't love it. It's one extra step. It's not always reliable. Uh, I don't know why, but you know, well, uh, well, uh, it's been well over a decade. I think the personal hotspot exis- existed on the iPhone, and sometimes I still get those errors, like I couldn't connect, or you know, no network found, or I don't get it. So, the hotspot is what I've been doing, and it's fine. But then again, I would prefer to have the thing built in the MacBook Pro. So that's one thing I've been missing for sure, and also like as I mentioned, the the physicality of it. You know, uh, sometimes I just want to you know, you know, be be on the sofa and and just to hold my tablet, you know, in my lap and use the touchscreen. Can't really do that w- with the MacBook, but with the iPad, uh, also I feel like w- when it, when it comes to doing laptop things, you know. Uh, there's there's a ton of different things where the MacBook is better. Like, for example, viewing angles, right? The Magic Keyboard has very limited viewing angles for when you want to tilt and adjust the display. The MacBook doesn't have limited viewing angles. It lets you tilt and adjust exactly how you want your display to look. Now, it doesn't... It doesn't, uh, you know, fold all the way back like some Windows uh, convertibles that I've seen. You know, those laptops that let you (laughs) push the display back until it becomes like a flat device, basically, and you can fold the keyboard in the back. Like, the MacBook Pro doesn't, doesn't let you do that. But it still lets me adjust the display with many more options than an iPad Pro. The keyboard is better. 
the keyboard as an extra row that the Magic, the Magic Keyboard for iPad doesn't have. So I have those media keys for music playback controls, for brightness controls, and that's so much better than having to reach out to Open Control Center on the iPad. The trackpad is bigger, right? Um, so performing those three, four-finger gestures on the MacBook Pro so much more comfortable than trying to do so on the iPad Pro's uh, small trackpad that is built into the Magic Keyboard. Now, I get it. The Magic Keyboard has a small keyboard and a small trackpad because of that floating form factor. But then again, I wonder, is that the only form factor that you can try for a 13-inch laptop? Uh, maybe there are some other options that Apple could explore. And I think, Stephen, we mentioned these unconnected before. I would love to see Apple, you know, sometimes we use this expression, unconnected, get weird about accessories. Like, do a bunch of wild and weird accessories for the iPad Pro. Let's see what sticks. Let's see what happens. Like, do multiple keyboards. Do multiple versions of the pencil. I don't care. Like, go wild with those accessories because the iPad is really, to an extent, the iPad is what you pair with it. So give me more options to pair with my iPad Pro. So yes, those, those I think are the, you know, hardware-wise, the biggest differences. And obviously there's a whole other conversation um, to be had when it comes to the iPad doing laptop things in software. Yeah, so what are those things for you? Because I suspect <laughs> that if, that, that's like your stumbling block, really, isn't it? I mean, if yeah. suddenly you could record your podcast on your iPad, would you yep. still be using the MacBook Pro? I think recording podcasts, um, probably the most important one, just because podcasting is basically half of my week. Uh, and so having a reliable environment for plugging in my audio stuff and you know, uh, ensuring that not only can I record my local audio, but also I can record a backup of, of the call that we're having, whether it's, it's on Zoom, Skype, or Discord. I need to have that backup. Um, and to save that backup in a location that I can control, and that I can, uh, you know, uh, also back up to Dropbox, like all that kind of stuff is essential for my work. So that's certainly a factor, having a proper environment for audio. Uh, the iPad doesn't have any of that. Um, but also window management and file management. And I know that file management is not an exciting thing, right? It's kind of a it's boring, but it's an important thing. It's one of those, like, uh, essential tasks that a computer needs to take care of in a reliable way. And so, you know, Finder, maybe not the best file manager, file manager around, maybe not the most exciting one, but it does a few things that files still doesn't do. Like, yeah. for example, uh, smart folders. Or my favorite, quick actions in the Finder inspector with shortcuts built in. And I've really taken it. I've really been taking advantage of this feature where I can use my shortcuts in the context of a Finder quick action. Um, you get this in the inspector if you select something like a PDF or an image. You get this in the contextual menu when you right-click on a document and you get the quick actions right there in the contextual menu. Uh, so having my shortcuts available there has opened up a whole new dimension for, you know, how I can speed up some key tasks. And of course, window management. Like I'm on a laptop, uh, you know, I'm you know working at my desk. I'm doing a bunch of things. Maybe I'm in my car 
right? Uh, maybe I'm, I'm on the sofa. I, I just want to quickly manage my windows. I want to place this one on the left, this one in the top right. The Mac lets me do that, as you mentioned, David, with Keyboard Maestro, which, by the way, as we're recording this, I just saw that Keyboard Maestro shipped version 10.1 with much, much deeper shortcuts integration. So I'm going to have to look into that. Yeah. So the Mac lets me do that. I have macros in Keyboard Maestro. I have my hotkeys and aliases set up in Raycast. I can manage my windows with, by just pressing a button. And the iPad, I'm like, okay, time to do the drag and drop dance again. Uh, or, you know, and I'm limited to two apps at the same time and I got to use slide over. It's slow and inefficient. And also, I think I would mention automation because shortcuts on the Mac has really opened up a whole new world for me in terms of how I can optimize the hundreds of shortcuts that I build every year. And I think it's the same for you, David, obviously. Yeah. Uh, we've been building these shortcuts for iPhone and iPad for the past eight years. And with the arrival of shortcuts on the Mac, now, of course, the first version was not great in September, right? It was buggy and crashy and full of glitches. wasn't great. But it's been getting better, like really getting better on each release. And now that I have it in a stable form, more or less, this freedom is great. You know, being able to create shortcuts for Finder, for Shell scripts, for Apple script, it's terrific. And, uh, you know, it would be hard to give up now that I'm getting used to it. Yeah, you know, another whole point of the shortcuts being on the Mac that I don't think has got enough attention from folks like us is that a lot of traditional Mac developers who never really got into writing automator actions are suddenly building automation into their apps, you know? Yes. And, um, and this was just not the case before. And Apple's made the bar just low enough for those folks to be able to get in and, and build, even if it's rudimentary, but some sort of automation in. And that, to me, is something that, you know, you were never going to get with something like Keyboard Maestro. As much as I love Keyboard Maestro, people are, are not mm-hmm. writing actions in their apps for it, but they will do that for right. shortcuts. I think another thing that's that's so encouraging about it is that they preserved a lot of the uh, legacy automation tools on the Mac. You know, you don't see things like Apple Script or Shell Scripting on the iPad and iPhone, but they pre-existed shortcuts on the Mac, and Shortcuts has adopted a lot of those technologies. And I'm curious, Federico, like, what sorts of things has that unlocked for you in terms of automation that just weren't feasible on iOS or iPadOS? Mm. Yeah, so window management for sure. I've been using all these shortcuts that allow me to... uh, One of my most used shortcuts is called Split View Presets. So that's basically a way for me to define combinations of apps that I use together on a regular basis. Uh, That's exactly the kind of thing you can't really do on iPadOS with shortcuts. So for example, I have the shortcut that brings up a list. And this list is, well, a list of app combos. So like Safari plus Obsidian or Messages plus Twitter or Safari plus Mail, like all these presets. And all I need to do is select them with the with the arrow keys and press return. And that those two windows open side by side thanks to shortcuts um, 
find windows and resize windows, uh, resize window actions. Yeah. One of the shortcuts that we selected as the one of the category winners for Automation April, uh, made by Om Chachad, uh, called Snap. Snap is this incredible Mac shortcut that shows you these um, icons for different um, window sizes. It's like presets, but to the next level. Uh, you have all these beautiful icons for like half of the screen or bottom left corner of the screen or center of the screen. And you just hit one of those icons and the frontmost window resizes to match that window layout. Like that kind of stuff is incredible. And I wish that it was also possible on the iPad, but it's not. So that's one type of automation where shortcuts on the Mac has really opened up a whole new world for me. I would also mention the combination, the beautiful combination of the old world of scripting and the new world of shortcuts. Uh, for example, I, I put together these shortcuts that I can run from the menu bar or with a hotkey where I can, for example, show and hide the, you know, some elements of Apple Music on the Mac, like for example, lyrics or the app next queue. Like you can combine Apple script to show those windows, those sidebars, which shortcuts. And so that combination, I think is a really beautiful thing. You know, combining visual actions with scripting technologies and the result is really greater than the sum of its parts. And mm -hmm. that's been really fun for me to dig into and, and put together the shortcuts that combine scripting with visual stuff been really fun and lastly i would mention and you know, and, and again it's probably you know i think uh, uh you know not totally original but it works um finder having uh, access to to the finder and but really combining the finder actions in shortcuts with what i do in obsidian that's come really in handy uh we made a plugin for Obsidian called Obsidian Shortcut Launcher. And that shortcut, that plugin allows you to run a shortcut from Obsidian, right? When you do that on the iPhone and on the iPad, uh, Obsidian launches the shortcut in the Shortcuts app because that's all it can do. But when you run that plugin on the Mac, the shortcut is called in the background, right? The Shortcuts app does not launch in the foreground. You stay in Obsidian, but you can run a shortcut. And that's possible. That that's possible because on the Mac, shortcuts can run in the background thanks to shell scripts, right? So that's what our plugin does. It fires off a shell script. But what I've been doing there is I create thanks to this plugin and thanks to shortcuts on the Mac, I created this system where I can easily create a backup in multiple locations of an article I'm working on. So I just need to press a hotkey in Obsidian. And it launches one of the commands of Obsidian Shortcuts Launcher. Obsidian Shortcuts Launcher passes the file path of the current document to Shortcuts. And then Shortcuts takes care of creating multiple copies for me. And that's easy, right? Because you can just say, okay, create a copy in iCloud Drive, create a copy in Dropbox, create a copy in GitHub using the working copy uh, GitHub client. It's really easy. But that combination of like, there's the finder, there's Obsidian, there's shortcuts, you can glue them all together in this very reliable shortcut 
uh, that I use multiple times a day and that I will make sure to use thousands of times for my iOS review this summer. Okay, first of all, I just want to say for the audience uh, that Federico brought up Obsidian, not me. <laughs> yeah, I take full responsibility. It's my fault, yes. <laughs> As a proper host now, I need to engage with this. Um, no, honestly, uh, the uh, automation with Obsidian on tools outside of Obsidian on the Mac are amazing. Mike Schmitz gave me the idea of using Obsidian with Hazel. So now I I put in the YAML front matter, I have a status field. And like if I'm in the folder where I keep active blog posts and I just change the status to published Hazel sees that and then moves the file to somewhere else in my obsidian database for me. I don't even have to write an automation in obsidian. Hazel does everything in the background. Like, but those are just all these automation tools on the Mac that you can bring to bear on an application that is fundamentally a folder full of markdown folders. So anything you can do with the file, you can, you know, automate in that application. Eh. It brings me no end of delight when stuff like that happens. Well, you're doing it next level though with the YAML from matter and and the status fields in there. Like that's that's something that I want to look into more this summer, especially when I will be working on on the iOS review um, oh, yeah. with with multiple chapters and and sections for each chapter because I think it'd be helpful for me to combine those status fields in the YAML from matter with something that. Uh, keeps tracks keeps track of which sections I'm done uh, with and which other sections need more work. For example, so I I still need to think of a system there, but I know for sure that this year because I'm working on the Mac, I will be able to do the kinds of things that I that were not as easy before with 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 the iPad, right? I mean, unless things change with iPad S 16, obviously. Uh, but like I mentioned, creating multiple backups or even things like turning local attachments in my Obsidian drafts, like uh, turning local images into image links stored on our CDN. Like now that's something that I can totally do with shortcuts because all I need to do is read the local file path of the image turn that image into an image that's uploaded somewhere and replace the local reference with the public URL of that image. Like that workflow is now something that I can do. Or I can do shortcuts to, you know, take my compiled copy of the iOS and iPadOS review and turn it into a PDF or something that I can share with my friends if they want to have advanced, you know, early access to, you know, a particular chapter, for example. Like all those kinds of things, um, because of the freedom that you have with uh, shell scripts and Finder integration in shortcuts on the Mac, they become so much easier to use with Obsidian and shortcuts together. Um, Now, obviously... I would love to see all this on iPadOS 16, right? I think at the very at a very minimum, I think Apple should make it possible for users and for developers to run shortcuts in the background with an API, just like you can on the Mac with the shell. Now on the Mac, you can use the terminal and you can just you know type in shortcuts run, you know, name of your shortcut, and the shortcut will run in the background. Now, obviously, I don't expect Apple to bring a terminal to iPadOS, but I think hmm. there should be an API for developers to say, I want to run this shortcut that the user has in the background 
and I don't know, retrieve the output of that shortcut. Like that's a thing that should be possible. Yeah. And if that ever becomes a reality, I could see apps like say Obsidian on the uh, iPhone and iPad saying, well, now you can also run shortcuts in the background and, and there's a plugin for that. And we're not using new URL schemes anymore. We're not, you know, doing the back and forth between Obsidian and shortcuts. Now, I mentioned Obsidian because that's what we're talking about, but it could apply to anything else, right? Uh, so at a very minimum, there should be an API to run shortcuts in iPadOS 16 in the background. But yeah, uh, once you come, yeah, once you combine the words of Obsidian and shortcuts, you know, crazy things can happen. You know, this is the problem with having Federico on the show because now you get me excited about the iPad again. And, uh, <laughs> you know, you're trouble. I, I'm going to send you a video I made for the Max Market Labs members where I'm my kind of active organization system in Obsidian might be useful for your review. But I'm using Data View in Obsidian to look at contents of specific folders and auto populate those on an index page. Like it's kind of like um, what Nick Milo would call a map, map of content or. I think you have a name for it to a page where you've got like a home base, but mine is automatically generated based on where the files are located. And then when I change the YAML front matter, the, um, the Hazel will move them to different locations. So they would, they would automatically depopulate from the active projects page or whatever I'm doing, depending on what I'm doing inside the file. It's I'm, I'll send you a video. It's, it's cool. And, yes. um, it's just, but it all gets down to the fact that I'm using an application that has a completely transparent file system. So anything that you can automate, um, you can affect the application data. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I think we went down the Obsidian rabbit hole. <laughs> I, I, I'm sure I'll get a few emails. It's like, Obsidian's a weird topic because when it comes up on the show, we get email from people saying, I love that. I wish you would talk more about it. And then we get email from people saying, man, I'm just not interested. I wish you would shut up about yeah. it. <laughs> so yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a very polarizing piece of software. But that's when you know you, that's when you know you, it's, there's a great product in yeah. there somewhere. Because yeah. if, it, if it elicits that, that kind of feeling like, oh, I love it or no, I really hate it, you know that it's something that it stands out. Right, so you either love it or hate it, and it's I don't I don't know why you can really hate it. I guess you can be tired of the conversation around it, which is fair. Yeah. And it's fine, which is why I will not bring it up anymore. But I, I don't think people for, hate it. I, I yeah, just I think, think they're, they're not interested. It. You know, they're not interested, which is again fine. Um, again, th that's the the beautiful thing, if anything, of of the past two years. Uh, when it comes to software, when it comes to productivity software, there's been this renaissance of these kinds of apps, right? Just because we've been stuck at home looking at our computers, figuring out ways to make those computers better. And so we really are living a golden age of note-taking apps and, you know, uh, uh, PK, uh, PKM apps, obviously, like uh, there's such an abundance of options and it's a beautiful thing, right? Uh, not many of those will stick around for decades to come. I think Obsidian is one of those. Obviously, Notion is another product that I think will be around for a while. I there's think Craft, tech, Craft. Craft, obviously, yeah. if it doesn't get acquired by Apple, which is a, <laughs> a long-running theory that I have uh, <laughs> that will happen eventually. If Craft gets acquired by Apple, I hope it's like the workflow acquisition where they keep the team yes. together and just build it in. Boy, that will that could be something that pulls me away from Obsidian if Apple mm -hmm. took over Craft and made it really mm -hmm. good. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But anyway, yeah, uh, you you can be tired of Obsidian and it's fine. 
but uh, br- more broadly speaking, I think it's just fantastic how many options we have right now for note-taking apps. I think two spaces uh, are really exciting again right now. Note-taking apps and read-later apps. Yeah. I don't know why, but also like the read-later space, uh, you know, there's things happening again. There's Readwise, there's, you know, the folks that matter that recently launched version two. And I'm seeing this new generation of iCloud-based read-later apps that are popping up on the App Store every few weeks. I don't know. Again, possibly a result of the past two years. You know, we've all been just <laughs> wasting time on the internet, saving articles for later. And many of us realized, oh no, this app that I'm using for reading stuff later is terrible. Let me build my own. Uh, or let me look for, for an alternative. So it's nice to have this sort of excitement about apps again. I would add to the list that I think home automation might get a lot more exciting soon as well if everybody goes in on this universal platform. So, mm, Yes. This episode of Mac Power Users is made possible by Electric. We've all served as tech support for friends and family, right? I mean, I just had a phone call this morning from a family member who didn't know why their iPhone wasn't audibly ringing. Uh, They had put it in Do Not Disturb accidentally. Anyways, easy to fix. But look, when it comes to work, you're focused on building a business, and you won't always have time to jump to the rescue when there's a tech issue that needs solving. This is where Electric comes in. They know small businesses face challenges with IT. That's why they've solved this problem for you by operating as your IT department. Instead of spending time sorting through unused application licenses or setting up employee laptops, answering questions, you can focus on your business. With Electric acting as your IT department, you can get back to what you're good at. Plus, you get a really great IT platform to see and manage everything. Delegation is hard in small businesses. Trust me, I know. But as you grow, it's so critical to let experts come in and take parts of your responsibility and run with them. And that's where Electric can fit in for you. For MPU listeners, Electric is offering free Beat Solo 3 headphones for taking a qualified meeting. Go to electric.ai slash MPU. That's electric.ai slash MPU. There's a link in the show notes to get your free pair of Beat Solo 3 headphones for scheduling a meeting. Our thanks to Electric for their support of the show and Relay FM. So Federico, uh, we talked about a lot in the last segment, but you also threw out the carrot of Raycast. And Stephen and I are thinking about maybe doing some content on that in the future on Mac Power. So we've both been running it now for a couple of weeks. And uh, I know you're really into it. Tell us about Raycast and, and why you're excited. It's exciting because it's, the, it's, it's an application launcher that thinks the way I think about launching stuff. So, and I'm gonna, it's it's difficult to describe this kind of utility on a podcast without having the video component, but I'm gonna try. So there's plenty of spotlight alternatives on the Mac, right? Uh, you have LaunchBar, you have Alfred, you know, years ago, I think it's still around, Steven, is it still around Quicksilver? Is it? St- I think it is still around. I it heard is, somebody right? mention it just the other day that they were still using it. So I think, I think it's still kicking. Oh, don't tell right. me Quicksilver still works. You guys are going to mess me up. I think it's, I saw, I think you, Stephen, shared a tweet of someone who said that he, anyway, uh, yeah, it's still around. Um, and then, of course, you have Raycast. So what I love about Raycast is 
some very specific small features that taken all together, they really make this product special. So first of all, it's really fast, right? Uh, you can search for anything, whether it's a file, folder, app, whatever. Um, and it's really fast. Performance is terrific. You can create, you can mark any result as a favorite. Your favorite results, they float toward the top of the Raycast window. So if you have stuff that you frequently launch, like, I don't know, Safari or you know, a folder or a particular shortcut, you can make those items favorites. And you will, when you open the, you know, when you command space, because I assigned Raycast the same shortcut as Spotlight, when you command space, you see those favorites right away. So you don't need to search for them. You can just, you know, arrow key down and select them and go. I mentioned shortcuts. Raycast can run individual shortcuts from the shortcuts app, obviously in the background, because this is a macOS app. But what you can do for your shortcuts and for any other result in Raycast is you can give it an alias, meaning you can give it like a, like a nickname and a hotkey. And these hotkeys, um, I have found them to be more reliable than the hotkeys you can set up for your shortcuts in the shortcuts app. Sometimes I press a, I press a keyboard shortcut for, and I'm sorry, but everything is called a shortcut. I press mm -hmm. a hotkey for a shortcut that I set up in the shortcuts app and it doesn't do anything. I try the same hotkey in Raycast and it works 100% of the time. Hmm. So those hotkeys that you assign in Raycast itself, they work system-wide and they are super reliable. Then what I really like is some types of items in Raycast support interactions. So Raycast is extensible, like Alfred, like LaunchBar. You can install extensions. There's a, an extension, quote-unquote, store that you can browse in Raycast. Uh, there's an API. Developers can make uh, extensions for it. It's all open source, and you can check it out. You can go in and browse and install the extensions you want. Some of these extensions, extensions are built in, and one of them is the Reminders one. The Reminders extension transforms Raycast into a view into your schedule. It shows you all of your upcoming reminders organized by day. When you select a reminder, there's this uh, global hotkey in Raycast, which is Command-K. Command-K shows you a context menu for the selected item, and it changes based on the item you have selected. So if you select a reminder in Raycast and you press Command-K, you will see options for marking it as complete or changing the due date or changing the priority. If you select a calendar event, which is also something you can search for in Raycast, and you press Command-K, you will find the option to reschedule, uh, to open in the calendar app, and like other things that are specific to the calendar. This Command-K modifier, it's global to Raycast, and it changes depending on the kind of result you have selected. Like yeah, it also works file, in contacts, too. And yes. It works, yeah. What I also really like is the... Um, the sheer amount of, of extensions you have. There's a clipboard manager, uh, and it 
really it's really nice it does what i wanted to do which is it show it, it shows previews for text and images that you've copied to the clipboard and it even shows you which app you copied from there's a bunch of metadata and of course if you press command k you will get some additional uh, some additional options like you can turn clipboard items into snippets you know you can do all those kind of things uh, there's a, a built-in emoji viewer right so you can view a grid like a large grid of emoji and you can search by name and of course you can select them all with keyboard and you can press command k to get more options so that's also really nice i don't know i guess th those are the really the things that i love the most it's for me it was the the built-in window management features which i mentioned a few minutes ago marking results as favorites and the super fast and reliable shortcuts integration Raycast is my number one interface for running shortcuts on the Mac, uh, whether they are marked as favorites or I give them a hotkey or I give them an alias, but it's super fast. It's what Spotlight should have been for shortcuts, but it's not. Um, and I really like how it dynamically uh, ranks results over time. So if I run a particular shortcuts that starts with the letter S, uh, that will be ranked more highly than, say, Safari. But that changes over time. So the app kind of learns from, from your habits and it ranks results differently. Uh, I don't know. It's it's really well designed, fast, um, updated frequently, and they recently rolled out their paid uh, thing, which is a subscription plan for Teams. The idea being that you can share snippets and other macros and settings uh, in a team of people. And then the one I would add to that, that you mentioned in the last segment, is the crazy number of window management options they yes. have. Yes. You know, like, there's there's one called Almost Maximize, which yeah, is exactly what it sounds like, you know. <laughs> there's one called Reasonable Size, which is... Yeah. A reasonable size for a window. Yeah, yeah. That's, that was also very funny. Uh, and yeah, you, it's nice because you can go into the... So you open settings and you go into the extensions tab and you will see all your scripts because, of, of course, you can run scripts. Uh, commands, extensions you've installed and you can press the, the plus button uh, to add more from the store. Like that's where I found the Obsidian extension, which is also a nice one. And I promised I would... I'm sorry, I'm mentioning Obsidian again, but you can search your, you can search your Obsidian notes um, and you can open uh, a specific note in the Obsidian app immediately from Raycast. There's so much, you know, there's there's an Apple Music extension. There's an extension for Bear, the note-taking app. You can create bookmarks. It's There's wild things in the extension store. I have considered making my own uh, Raycast extension at some point. I'll have to look into that. It is like really coming on hard i mean it's like there are uh, alfred and launch bar have been around a long time they're both very good there are some things i can do in alfred that i can't do with raycast but it's just shocking to me how fast these extensions are getting on it does remind me of obsidian and i'll take the heat for that mention uh in that like you've got this community uh going behind it and just like filling in things uh that are showing up so fast i uh uh, I am really impressed with it for something that, you know, how long has this app been around? I, I only heard of it like three months ago. Uh, I think a year. Yeah. I, for sure it was around um, last year. I think it was the WWDC sponsor of 
I don't know, Mac stories or something else. For sure, it's been a year, maybe a couple of years. Well, it's, yeah, it's really, really arrived. It's been, it's been picking up lately just because like, I think folks have realized, you know, oh, this is actually very powerful. Yeah. Yeah, the community aspect around it is what's most impressive to me. I mean, you have that with things like LaunchBar and Alfred, but I think the folks who are building stuff to use with Raycast are really fired up about it in a way that maybe those other platforms don't enjoy anymore. And uh, it's exciting to see, I mean, just in the, I don't know, three or four weeks I've been I've been running it on my Mac, mm-hmm. uh, it feels like it's it's new things are happening in, in Raycast world all the time. Yeah. What I will say that LaunchBar gets exactly right about its shortcuts integration that Raycast doesn't, and I hope they copy that feature, honestly, is from LaunchBar, you can select a shortcut, a result from the shortcuts app, and you can pass input to the shortcut from LaunchBar. So you do this by searching for a shortcut. Then once, you, once you've selected the shortcut you want to run, you press tab and when you do, or space, I don't remember, but you press one of those keys and the launch bar lets you type in some input text and that input text p- gets passed to the shortcut. Meaning, if you have a shortcut that you're using to capture ideas into Obsidian or Craft or Apple Notes, whatever, you can capture that idea right from within launch bar. Because you just type the name of a shortcut, then you tab, you type the idea or the thought you want to save, you run the shortcut, and that text that you typed in launch bar gets passed as input to the shortcut. That's a fantastic way to take advantage of passing input to a shortcut on the Mac, and I wish that Raycast had the same option. And I brought this up to them, and hopefully it'll, it'll get added at some point. Okay, guys, wait a second. Wait a second. I have an announcement. I might be using Raycast a lot more. Because if you open Raycast and you type toggle lightsaber, your Mac makes the lightsaber sound and your mouse turns into a lightsaber. (laughs) Really? How did you even come across that? Are you just typing lightsaber into various things on your computer? I just, yes, everything that I search, I always start with lightsaber. That's amazing. I, I was I was looking through the action directory, but oh my god, it really makes a loud noise. Though. I know, I know. <laughs> <laughs> wow, I know. But I mean, did you just open Raycast and and search for lightsaber? Well, I was just looking through the action list here okay. as you were talking, and I'm like, toggle lightsaber. Wait a second. <laughs> okay, man, Raycast, you are you are pushing all of my buttons right now. Okay, well. This app is uh, we're gonna we're gonna cover it more. Uh, like I said, I am uh, a pretty pretty committed to Alfred because like I've built a lot of custom actions in Alfred allow me to search specific folders and mm-hmm. do all kinds of cool stuff. It's like the integration in Alfred with OmniFocus is killer. But you know, I need to I need to dig in on this because it seems like there's a lot under the hood here. Yeah, and I haven't paid for it. And now you said so they have a model where they're going to. Um, uh, have like teams can subscribe. Uh, it actually yeah. worries me an app like this. If there's no model for it, that, like how do they keep the lights on? Yeah. I kind of wish that they let me pay as a, as an individual user, honestly, like, uh, uh, let me pay for 
premium stuff. And right now they only have like a like a teams based subscription model, which is okay. And that's that's one of the things that is my biggest concern about Raycast. You know, they're the kind of company that they I believe they took VC money as an investment. And obviously they are, you know, they're you know they they want to roll out these these plans for business customers, right? Which we see these kinds of companies do. Like for example, look at One Password, which I love, but obviously you know it's that kind of company where you have to roll out, you know, you have to roll out plans for the enterprise for business customers to you know to justify having these pricey subscription costs. Uh, personally, because I love the product so much, like yeah. They've taken VC investments. Like, I don't care. The product itself is amazing. So I wish that they let me pay for it. Like, even just a personal subscription, I, I don't know, $20 a year or something. Like, I'd be down for that. I would prefer to pay as a as a single user myself to get access to premium stuff. And maybe that's happening down the road. I honestly have an idea. I don't really know these folks. Yeah. But the product, I mean, it speaks for itself. It's really well done. This episode of the Mac Power Users is brought to you by ZocDoc. Find the right doctor right now with ZocDoc. Just go to ZocDoc.com MPU and sign up for free. Finding and booking a doctor who's right for you doesn't need to be a terrible experience. Will they take your insurance, understand your needs, or be available when you can see them? With ZocDoc, the answer can be a refreshingly pain-free and simple yes. ZocDoc is a free app that shows you doctors who are patient-reviewed, take your insurance, and are available when you need them. You can read up on local doctors with verified patient reviews and see what other real humans had to say about their visit. So when you walk into that doctor's office, you're set up to see someone in your network who gets you. Go to ZocDoc.com, choose a time and slot, whether you want to see the doctor in person or do a video visit, and just like that, you're booked. Find the doctor that is right for you and book an appointment that works for your schedule. Every month, millions of people use ZocDoc. In the chaotic world of healthcare, let ZocDoc be your trusted guide to find a quality doctor. Not so long ago, we needed a doctor in the family, and the list we got from the insurance was not up to date, and it was madness. So we just got on ZocDoc, found ourselves a doctor, and got taken care of very quickly. Anybody who is struggling to find the right doctor and trying to figure out how this whole insurance thing works, should check out ZocDoc. They take care of all of it for you. So go to ZocDoc.com slash MPU and download the ZocDoc app for free. Then start your search for a top-rated doctor today. Many are available within 24 hours. That's ZocDoc.com slash MPU. That URL, one more time, is ZocDoc.com slash MPU. Our thanks to ZocDoc for their support of the Mac Power Users and all of Relay FM. Federico, we like to end our interview shows, our time with our very special friends, uh, talking about some favorite apps or services that, that maybe you're using we have that we haven't gotten a chance to touch on yet. So what are some things that are making Federico Vitici's life a little bit better? So... Can I mention some Obsidian plugins? Of course. And then I'll skip to the actual apps. <laughs> All right. <laughs> so I mentioned Obsidian Shortcut Launcher. That's the the, the plugin that, that that we made at Mac Stories. It lets you run shortcuts in Obsidian. Go check it out. It's it's free, open source. You can, you know, actually take a look at the code we're using. So uh, but I also want to mention hover editor. 
This is one of the latest uh, entries in the Obsidian uh, plugin community. It's incredible. Like this plugin, it opens a mini editor floating window every time you hover with the cursor over a link to a note in Obsidian. So it's like, is it kind of like Quick Look and Finder where you can just kind of yeah. see into something but not actually navigate to it? But that's the thing you can see. So when you hover over, uh, you know, double square brackets over an internal link, you see the preview, but the plugin is called Hover Hover Editor because the window is actually editable. You can click in and you can make changes to the note you just opened in the floating pop-up. And you can open multiple of those floating pop-ups and you can drag them around and you can pin them on screen and you can basically spawn multiple of these floating pop-ups in Obsidian and make changes and those get reflected in the, in, in the document itself. Okay. So it's preview and editor all at once. It kind of feels like this is a feature, this is a plugin that will be Sherlocked by Obsidian eventually. And the Obsidian folks, they do this, of course, with permission from plugin developers. Some, some really popular plugins become built-in Obsidian features eventually. And I really feel like this is one of those features. Yeah, Stephen, uh, they've had the ability to preview with Hover for a long time, but this lets okay. you yeah. actually go in and change things. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. It, okay, so this is crazy. like like an addition to what they're doing. Yeah, that does seem like yeah. it's right for Sherlocking. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and the other plugin that I recently started using is called OmniSearch. This is a, an incredible search plugin based on a different search algorithm from the one used by default in Obsidian. And I prefer... Well, two things about it. The performance, I think it's really great. It can search your entire vault in less than a second. It indexes hundreds of nodes of notes in like 400 milliseconds for me or something like that. Um, and results are ranked uh, based on multiple criteria. You can go in and read the detailed documentation for this plugin. But basically, I like how there's two modes. You can search your entire vault or you can search the current document. And I prefer how it supports fuzzy search, uh, how it ranks results based on how many times a particular word or sequence of characters appears in the document. It's really fast, super reliable. Uh, try it for yourself and see if you prefer that one to the built-in Obsidian uh, search for, especially the vault search for searching for particular strings of text in a particular document. Uh, I really like how this one works. Now, that's enough for Obsidian plugins. I will mention some apps now. Uh, Matter, the Read Later app, recently came out with version 2. I like how they, they dropped all the social stuff they were doing, and they literally wrote in the announcement post, uh, we realized that the social stuff was a distraction for our users, and so we're dropping it. We're not doing it anymore. And so what is left is a really excellent read-later product that supports, as this beautiful text parser, supports highlights. It can sync to a variety of services, including Readwise and Obsidian, but also lets you listen to an article rather than just read the article. And they have this really good um, text-to-speech engine 
uh, that you know lets you listen to a spoken, obviously spoken by a robot, but still spoken version of an article. Again, same concern as Raycast applies here. How are these folks making money? Not clear right now, but the product is really nice. But it's free, so we'll have we'll we'll have to keep an eye and see how this thing actually grows over time, and if they start, you know, if they become profitable, they seem to be committed to building like this sustainable product long term. But you know, those are just words. We'll we'll have to see. One of my favorite indie developers lately is Marcos Tanaka. Marcos Tanaka, you may know, he's the developer of the Music Harbor app. Music Harbor is an app that is like the missing utility for Apple Music. It shows you a list of new music releases for every single artist in your Apple Music library. Now, Marcos Tanaka has been on a on a on a grind lately, and Marcos has first released Play. So Play is a is a utility that lets you save YouTube links for later. And this is the kind of app that I've always wanted to have uh, because I really dislike the watch later playlist in YouTube. Yeah, me too. With play, <laughs> yeah. With Play, you have this app that is on iPhone, on iPad, on the Mac, and of course, because it's YouTube videos, on the Apple TV. It syncs with iCloud and it lets you save links in a bunch of different ways. You can paste the links, you can use a share extension, you can use shortcuts, you can use a widget, you can use whatever you want. And those videos, they sync across devices. It's especially nice on the Apple TV because then when you select a video on the big screen, it kicks off you know, the YouTube app. But also you, there's this incredible feature, which is auto-tagging. You can define rules to automatically tag your videos with different tags and therefore have different categories if specific keywords or other types of metadata are found in the title of the video. So, for example, I set up auto-tagging for Pokemon. So, all Pokemon videos that I save, I don't need to tag them myself. They get auto-tagged by play because they have Pokemon in the title. And you, you can, of course, have multiple conditions. Super well done. So, that's play for YouTube. But the same developer, Marcos Tanaka, is coming out soon with another kind of app that I've always wanted to have, which is, imagine, read later but for music, right? So this upcoming app is called Music Box, and Marcos has been kind enough to run uh, a beta program in our Discord for Club Mac Stories members. And Music Box is basically play, right? But for Apple Music and Spotify content. So you can save your Apple Music links or Spotify links for later, and you can organize them with tags. And of course, you, can, you get access to all kinds of different metadata. Right, such as uh, album, artist, label, release dates. Um, you get shortcuts integration, so you have actions to save or retrieve music. You have Shazam integration on iPad, on iOS and iPadOS now. Uh, thanks to this is one of the few examples I've seen of the Shazam Kit API, meaning you can use Shazam inside Music Box, and it recognizes the song that is playing for you, and it saves the song for later, so you can listen to later. I've always wanted to have read later, but for music, and this one is coming out like in a week, I think, and it's gonna be, I think it's very high on the list right now of my 2022 apps of the year. Like, wow. it's gonna be incredible. 
some existing apps that I also want to mention, three more. Remind me faster. This is a very simple utility for iPhone and iPad to quickly save tasks in the Reminders app. It's a Reminders client that is like, imagine if if drafts and reminders at a baby. This is just mm. like a scratch pad for saving reminders into specific lists with support for natural language dates, locations, and priorities. That's all you can do. There's nothing else you can do. It's just an empty text field built specifically for reminders. Super great if you want to save like multiple reminders in a row without having to speak them to Siri or using the reminders app. The next one is very specific. And I'm sorry, but I have to bring this one up because it's one of my recent uh, discoveries. If you play competitive Pokemon, which is something that I do online, there's a whole... David, I don't know if you're familiar with this. Steven is because we forced Steven to listen to these segments on Connected. Yeah, uh, here it is again. The, you follow me over the, here. The, there's a whole world of competitive Pokemon play, both online and now, uh, you know, it's been two years, but real, you know, like in-person tournaments are coming back. Oh, yeah. I'm familiar with it. I'm not into it, but I get it. Yeah, and Pokemon is a really complex, actually, uh, role-playing game, right? There's a, a ton of different stats and numbers and potential combinations of teams you can design. And I have found this really good-looking native client for... Um, iPhone and iPad called VGC Helper. VGC stands for Video Game Championships, uh, which is the the format uh, that Nintendo um, does for competitive Pokemon play. And this VGC Helper app is really like a beautiful native app for iPhone and iPad that lets you manage your team, check out statistics for individual Pokemon, check your resistances, your weaknesses. Super well done. I love the design. And I want to mention this because it's hard to come by websites or apps for competitive Pokemon that are also nice to look at. Uh, a lot of the most popular websites are fully functional, but quite ugly. And this one is really well done. And lastly, of course, back to more traditional stuff for Mac users, I got to mention CleanShot X. I love CleanShot on the Mac. This is one of the apps that has defined my past few months in you know, getting used to macOS again. I just love all the little things that CleanShot can do, whether it's hovering over the screenshot thumbnail to copy or save the image, the built-in annotation tools, the fact that it can hide my icons on the desktop, the fact that it can turn a screen recording into a GIF right away. There's so many different options that CleanShot X has. And I know that Apple will never match the functionality of Clean of CleanShot in the their own screenshot tool. But man, I really love this one. There's so many different, like so many keyboard shortcuts and so many different options. So I want to shout out to CleanShot because it, it saved me so much time over the past few months and I'm going to be using this a ton in the summer. I bet. Uh, now, does that mean that you're going to do your epic review of macOS as well? Just going to do no, both of them? No, 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 no. I'm sticking to iOS and iPadOS, but I will be writing that review on on the Mac. So, uh, but yeah, I'm going to be writing for sure more about shortcuts on the Mac. So that's that's what I'm planning to use CleanShot for. Uh, a lot of my writing for shortcuts has included 
the Mac version lately, just because you know that's where the audience is. That's what people want to know. Mm-hmm. And so I will be writing about shortcuts on the Mac, but I will leave the Mac OS review to John. Uh, I will still be taking care of the iOS and iPad OS one. All right. So Federico, people can find you at macstories.com or .net, .net. right? .net. Yes. Sorry. macstories.net. And uh, on Twitter, you are Vitici, correct? Yes. That's V-I-T-I-C-C-I. Two Cs. Uh, anywhere yep. else people should look for you? I'm got the same username on Instagram, and I occasionally post pictures of either headphones, video games, or my dogs. All right. Well, yeah. the, the dog pictures are great. I love those. <laughs> Thank so. you. <laughs> uh, we are the Mac Power Users. You can find us over at relay.fm slash MPU. Uh, thank you to our sponsors today, 1Password, Source Graph, Electric, and ZocDoc. And we will see you next time.